Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. How many times have you listened to a friend or relative or somebody at work complaining about a child, a spouse, uh, you know, son or daughter, uh, relative, uh, employer, or even about the Pope or about priests or bishops? And, and of course, you listen because you're trying to help. You, you want to be a listening ear or maybe they need a shoulder to lean on. But how often have you also thought to yourself, my friend, you're miserable right now and you lack peace in your life because you've given some other person power and authority over your life. You've got a blocked future because you're believing that unless so-and-so changes, your life's not going to be enjoyable. Or you can't realize God's will or God's calling on your life until your parents or your siblings or your uh, daughter-in-law, your mother-in-law, your spouse, your priest, your bishop, your pope changes. You've got a barrier, and that barrier is a person. That barrier is a person who's interfering with your peace and fellowship with Christ. That's a dangerous attitude. Uh, it is dangerous to give other people authority over our life. Now, there are special circumstances in which, of course, vows are taken, oaths are given, uh, and we do uh, bring others into our life. But it's always done in the bonds of love. But with lots of other relationships, we begin to suspect that maybe this person who's being such a barrier to me, he may not have my best interest in mind. And then it becomes easy to see them as enemies. Now, for Christians, there's actually a a pretty obvious off-ramp here. When you get that kind of suspicion welling up within you, um, and we, you know, you begin to suspect someone close to you doesn't really have your best interests at heart, the off-ramp for you is Jesus' teaching to love your enemies. So that allows us to reset the relationship. What does love require of me here? And love displaces fear or hatred or suspicion. Uh, it gives you the courage. It gives you the moral high ground to confront the person who you are perceiving as a threat. And there you can, in, again, in a spirit of generosity and love, you can admonish or exhort. You don't always have to just suffer and take it. Uh, this is an important point, which I often see neglected among Christians. If someone's imposing on you or thwarting you or undermining you or simply irritating you, it may be very important for that person's well-being and spiritual growth to actually let them know how they're stepping on your toes or undermining your own sense of well-being. You may be helping them grow with a proper loving confrontation. I do think that this is a chronic problem for certain types of Christians. Uh, They give authority to people who don't deserve it, and then, of course, they regret it. Uh, They resent it, and then uh, they end up with enemies. St. Paul makes it clear, though, that we don't have enemies per se except the evil one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, For though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world wages war. We have different weapons. Our weapons are not of this world. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We just, he goes on to say, we demolish arguments at every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to Christ. So we are living in a world in which lies are being propagated constantly.
Lies are employed by people to defend themselves. Lies are employed to sell us on programs or products. Lies are employed to climb some ladder in society or at one's place of employment. Lies are allowed to stand because though we know the truth, we prefer to let it uh, remain unrecognized because we benefit from the silence. And many of us have told or at least have believed at different times in our lives that um, we benefit from Maybe not our lies, but somebody else's lies. The political outrage we see swirling all around us now is a function of claiming that we've been lied to. You know, who is the we that has been lied to, and who is the liar? Well, it all depends on which side of the political aisle you're you're sitting on. (laughs) When human discourse degenerates into lies, when you can't believe anything that's being said, We have something that stands in utter contrast to the lies of this world. It's called the Word of God. The Word of God is what demolishes all that sets itself up as an opponent to the good, the true, and the beautiful. All that sets itself up as an opponent to Christ Jesus. The Word of God is given to us so that we have something to hold on to that's true in all circumstances. We, we always have a place where we can wash ourselves in the regenerating waters of Scripture. We have a place to retreat to, to where we can cling to what is true. And the Bible, you know, is unlike any other book. The Word of God is alive and powerful. This is from Hebrews. The Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, of the joint and the marrow, and it's judge and critic of the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So really, by focusing on the Word of God, we gain insight into the dynamics of our own life, the spiritual dynamics uh, of the culture around us. And I think one practice that is really worth urging on one another is this idea of declaring or standing on the promises that God has made. You know, uh, this is, this is I, it, my experience, it's not practiced often enough. I mean, God has given us precious promises that we can rely on. God reveals who he is. He's utterly trustworthy. He is utterly love. And we're living in a time where there's extraordinary fear, fear of the future, We think the nation is going off the rails. We think the world is going off the rails. Many of us think the church is going off the rails. And there's widespread fear of the future. And yet, we should be able to say what God has said, that we have not been given over to a spirit of fear. St. Paul says, you've not been given a spirit of fear. You've been given a spirit of love, self-control, and a sound mind, Uh, It's interesting, just before St. Paul exhorts Timothy, he says, Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So one way to recover the sound mind, the self-control that we need in this world, which is propagated by lies, is to begin exercising the gift or gifts that we've received through baptism and confirmation. That's important, that we take what God has already given us and begin to work with it. The Spirit of God brings self-control. It brings discipline. 
The Spirit of God gives us the ability to stand in the midst of the whole world that appears to be going crazy and encourages us to stand firm in the faith because we know God's not going crazy. No matter how crazy the FBI seems uh, or how crazy China seems firing missiles over Taiwan or how crazy it seems that our child, who we tried to bring up in the faith, is now slinking around using illegal drugs or how crazy it is that Father so-and-so has just been removed from ministry because of a scurrilous allegation or even a true allegation. The world is that way. It is confusing. It is threatening. And the devil plays the world like a violin. The world, in fact, is corporate flesh. It's the corporate enemy that aims at stimulating the desires embedded in your old, unconverted self. The devil uses the world to lure us into attitudes and desires that aim to separate us from Christ. (laughs) Some people say, well, you don't know my circumstances. I don't. But God knows your circumstances. He saw them coming down the pike long before you suspected their presence. And believe me, God does know where you're at and what's going wrong. St. Paul, uh, writing to the Ephesians, where, by the way, Timothy may have already been bishop, in the second chapter, verse 14, he tells us that Christ himself has brought peace to us. Now, in the second chapter of Ephesians, the immediate conflict St. Paul has in mind is that between Jew and Gentile. But the application is that if Christ can tear down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, and in our own life, by the way, if he can tear down the Berlin Wall, for an analogy, how much more able is he to bring peace into your life? He breaks down the wall of hostility that separated Jew from Gentile. And that was thought in the first century to be an insurmountable wall, just like at one time we thought the Berlin Wall was insurmountable. So again, God knows the circumstances of our lives, and he knows uh, what they are, and he knows how he can bring peace by giving us victory. Again, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, he says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, bring your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This really is so simple that we we often forget it. It's so basic that we ignore it. But his teaching is simple. It says, when you're facing troubling circumstances, when we're facing circumstances that bring fear, when we think that God's not going to make good on his care and promise to us, that's exactly the time that we give thanks for what we haven't yet received. That's when you go to Scripture. That's when you repeat the promises of God. And this is why it's actually good to memorize passages uh, of the New Testament or the Psalms. I mean, it's great to have Scripture right at hand so you can, you know, cling to them in the midst of those troubling waters that rise up within us all until we've got a tidal wave or tsunami of anger and insecurity or uncertainty welling up within us. In all things, give thanks. I always like to point out, too, he didn't say, for all things give thanks, but in all things give thanks. And again, let's go back to Jesus himself, our Lord. He said, seek my kingdom and all these other things I will add to you. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other areas of provision I will add to you. So we're worried about the future. He says, look at the sparrow. 
Sparrow's not worrying about the future. Look at the lily of the field. Lily's not worrying about the future. They instinctually know that our Heavenly Father is going to provide for them. And then he says, aren't you of greater value to God than the sparrow? You're the image of God in this world. Rest secure in his love and provision for you. I know sometimes it's hard to believe, and we know from the life of ancient Israel, uh, it was hard to believe. They had the promise of the land. They had built the temple. And then there was the captivity and the exile. Uh, The people were torn apart. It was devastation. And Jeremiah said, I declare the word of God to you. I know the plans I have for you. I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I have plans to give you hope and a future which you cannot imagine. That was said to ancient Israel under the old covenant. How much greater is that that promise under the new covenant? 